Our reading this morning is Romans 13, verses 8 to 14. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. All right, well, good morning, brothers and sisters. It's already been a sweet morning together. Let me invite you to grab your Bible and open up to Romans chapter 13. We're going to continue this morning in this series through Romans together challenged by God's Word this morning. So just a reminder, if you need a Bible, there's a copy of God's Word in the seat pocket in front of you. I invite you to grab that and follow along this morning. Uh, if you've been with us on this journey, you know we are, we are in a section of Romans, really chapters 12 through 16, that I like to call the painfully practical section of Romans. The Bible gets down into the busyness and the messiness of our lives in every area. And just a little bit of context, you remember Romans 1 through 11, those chapters that we spent so much time on earlier in the year, they really define the gospel realities, things that are now true because of what God has accomplished in Christ Jesus. These are gospel truths called the mercies of God in chapters 1 through 11. And then Paul lays out those chapters, and then we come to chapter 12, and it's kind of the hinge of the book, and he says, okay... Now, in light of all these things that are true, in light of all of this gospel truth about us now in Christ by faith, how are we going to live? How are we going to live our lives in the messiness of every day? Because we've said this over and over, that if you've been transformed by the gospel, there's no single area of your life that will not be changed by Jesus Christ. Amen? Every area of your life, this picture of a living sacrifice presenting ourselves to Christ to God is a living sacrifice means all of us so Paul details different areas of our lives that we now live it affects our worship we present ourselves now and as, as living sacrifices the gospel transforms the way we relate to one another in the body of Christ the gospel transforms the way we relate to those who don't like us, our enemies, if you will. The, the gospel transforms the way we deal with authority, how we submit to authority. If you, if you weren't here last week, man, I encourage you to go back and check that out. So much practical truth at the beginning of Romans 13 about how we now live in submission to God-ordained authority. And then today, Paul's going to deal a little bit with the reality, okay, we are left here in this world uh, surrounded by those who don't know Christ, what is our responsibility, if you will, to the world we live in, to those that don't know Christ? 
Now, let me set this up a little bit in what we're going to look at this way. I had a, had a breakfast this week with a church member, a young man in our church, and he's faithfully walking with the Lord Jesus. He's abiding in Christ. He's a part of this faith family. We had breakfast there, and he was just sharing a burden with me, and I think many of us can relate to this burden. I asked his permission to share this, and I said, he was saying, listen, I, I, where I work, my place of employment is just a dark place. He said, man, I, I'm there, and I feel like the minority. There's very few believers, and, and I want to be a faithful witness there, and I want to be the light there, and I want to honor the Lord there. But, man, at the same time, I don't have the same kind of conversations they have, and I don't do the kind of things they do. And how do I rightly engage with those who are there that don't know Christ without compromising in any way but be a faithful witness there? What does all that look like? And he was struggling with that tension. Paul deals with that here because I think we can all relate to that tension a little bit. And in my mind, Romans 13 was going off, and I looked at my friend across the table, and I said, here's, here's what's in my mind right now from Romans 13. Paul calls us to love, and Paul calls us to be light. He calls us to love, and then he defines what love is, and he calls us to be light. And I hope that helps us a little bit this morning because that's the way Paul's going here and that's the direction. So pick up in verse 8. We're going to read a few verses. I've got some big truths for you this morning and then some uh, big ideas that flow out of that in application. So verse 8, Paul continues and he says, Owe no one anything. That'd be nice not to owe anybody anything at all. Well, that'd be great. Owe no one anything, Paul says, except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. What in the world does that mean? We'll talk about that in just a second. For the commandments. Paul's going to give some illustrations here and he pulls from what we call the Ten Commandments and he particularly pulls from the last half of the Ten Commandments that deal with how we relate to each other. First half of the Ten Commandments, how we relate to God. Second half of the Ten Commandments, how we relate to one another. So he gives some illustrations here. He says, you shall not commit adultery, shall not murder, shall not steal, shall not covet. And any other commandment, they are all summed up with this one word. And then he gives about eight words. He must be a preacher. He's got one word, and then he gives eight, but you get the idea. So they're summed up with this word, you shall love. Your neighbor, how? As yourself. What does that mean, Paul? Verse 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the whole law of God. So we're going to stop there and we'll press this out in a minute. But here's the big truth that kind of flows out of these verses that are going to guide us this morning. It's this, we are called to love others by obeying God's word. Paul says we are called as the people of God to be characterized by love. We have a responsibility to love. Now look, look back with me, verse 8. I'm going to walk down through some of these verses. He, he says this, Owe no one anything except to love. So practically what Paul's saying here, just a surface level, he's saying, okay, listen, pay your earthly debts, pay what is owed you, but understand there will be a responsibility, a calling, an obligation to love 
that you'll never fully pay. In other words, as long as we're in this world, to those around us and these growing circles, our family, our church family, and even the world around us, we as believers have this calling, this responsibility to love. Paul says we're called to love. Now, he quotes a verse that we've all heard before, right? Probably most of us could quote this thing. Okay, love your neighbor as yourself now what does that mean where did that come from well paul's hearkening back or he's pulling back from the old testament he's kind of pulling this thread of love that goes all the way through the bible all the way back in leviticus all the way through the new testament it's this idea love your neighbor as yourself leviticus 19 18 is where that began i'm gonna give you a few verses leviticus 19 now we all know if you want to do a study on love and the idea of love where do we go the book of leviticus right not just kidding. There is a reason for that in a minute. You're going to see what that is. Verse 18, he says, Do not revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Now make some connections here because Paul at Leviticus is quoting and saying, your love for your neighbor, we'll define that in just a minute, as yourself is directly tied back to who God is. I am the Lord. So those that know the one true God, those that have experienced the love of the one true God, those of us that are in Christ, it is the very character of God that we're talking about in the way we love, and the way we express love. See that? He goes on. Leviticus 19.34, he expands the circle a little bit of love. He says, not just, not just love, a responsibility to love those you are comfortable with, not just those who are like you, Verse 34 of Leviticus 19 says, The foreigner or the alien or the one who's different, the exile, whatever it may be, residing among you, you must be, it must be treated as your native born. Love them as yourself. The circle of love gets a little broader. Say, well, okay, Pastor Mike, I get I love those who are close to me. I'm, I'm to love my inner circle. Well, the Bible takes that circle and just expands it out even further. Why? I am the Lord your God. The character of God is you. He goes on, James in the New Testament quotes the same idea. James chapter 2 verse 8 says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, he calls this the royal law of love. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Doing so, you are doing well, James says. Jesus quotes this in Mark 12. They, they said, what's the most important commandment? Jesus said there's two of them. Love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and might, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus quotes that in Mark chapter 12. So there's this constant theme. I want you to see this this morning, that the people of God are called to love because it's a character of God issue we're called to love not just our close-knit circle that its circle expands out we're called to love others by obeying God's word now big idea that comes out of that is this love actively seeks the good of others love actively seeks the good of others let's see how that presses out verse 9 you know the commandments, don't commit adultery, goes through that list. And he says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, we'll circle that little phrase. Listen, I've wrestled with that little phrase, and maybe you have, as you try to meditate on what God's saying in his word and think hard through that. 
Why does he say I'm to love those around me as I love myself? Why does he say that? I think he says it that way because in hearing that, we naturally know how to look out for our own good. My default, I came into the world this way, and so did you, and we see it really clear with our kids, right? So we can use them as an example in a minute, minute, that we come into the world knowing how to put myself first, knowing how to look out for my own good, knowing how to pursue my own welfare. In fact, that's my default mechanism. And we know it clearly with our kids. So kids, there's, there's 10 kids in the room that say, got one chocolate brownie left. Who wants this brownie? I do. No kid in the room is going, you know what? I think it would be best in the welfare of Johnny. Let's give it to Johnny. You know why? Because we come into this world naturally seeking our own welfare. Naturally seeking our own good. And this command, if you will, now to the people of God with the Spirit of God living within us is to say, okay, now that is to be flipped on its head and love means now I seek your good. I seek your benefit. I seek your blessing. I want your success. I want what I naturally would seek for myself now because of transformation by the Spirit. I seek your good. This is what love is. Seeking, actively seeking the good of others. Selfless, active, sacrificial pursuit of the good, the welfare, the benefit of others like we naturally do for ourselves. So take it back to the workplace. Take it back to where you're surrounded by those who don't know Christ. There, there is this call to love and to seek their welfare, their benefit, even before your own. It's a call, a command from Scripture. Love actively seeks the good of others. Now, if you walk through the Bible, this seems to play its way out in a couple spheres. One is the individual sphere of life, these one-on-one relationship kind of things, people that God brings into our life that He calls us to love. Jesus gives an illustration of this quickly in Luke chapter 10. You don't have to turn there. Jesus is asked, okay, what's the great commandment? He says says this, somebody quotes the great commandment, uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Somebody who's wanting to push against this says to Jesus, a lawyer, says this, well, who's my neighbor? In other words, Jesus, how far out does this circle of love supposed to go? Who's my neighbor? And then Jesus launches into one of the most famous parables in the history of the world, the parable of the Good Samaritan, right? You know that one. It's in response to this question. So Jesus says, well, let me just illustrate. We are to show love to the individual, even those way outside our circle of of maybe relationship. And he says, I'll give you an illustration. There's this guy. He's coming from Jericho, which is a really dangerous path from Jericho to Jerusalem. He falls among robbers. They rob him. They steal from him. They throw him on the side of the road. And in the words of Scripture, they leave him half dead. Don't really know what it means to be half dead. That's what the Bible says. Not a good thing. So some people pass along. A priest passes by, Jesus says. The hearers of that story think, oh, the priest, the hero. The priest passes by on the other side of the road because he had some really important priestly things to get done that day. Rather than tend to the dying man on the side of the road. 
That's the pastor of the day, by the way. Then the Levite comes along, and the Levite's walking alongside the road. We'll just say that's the, uh, the deacons of the day, maybe, or something like that, right? They had some really important Levite stuff to be doing, so they passed by on this other side of the road. Then this Samaritan who was hated among the Jews, he comes along and meets the man's needs. And here's what Jesus says about it, verse 33. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound up his wounds, poured oil and wine. He set him on his own animal. He brought him to an inn. He took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper and said, Take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I'll repay when I come back. So this man is sacrificial. He's attentive. He meets the needs of this individual. He expands his circle of love. And the point is Jesus says, Love your neighbor throughout Scripture. Sometimes that's individual. Sometimes that's those that God puts in our path that we are to demonstrate that kind of love to. The Bible also holds out that we're to love, if you will, the larger society around us. How can we love the larger society around us? Jeremiah chapter 29, just give you a quick illustration, says this. To the Jewish people who were taken out of Israel, they were dropped right in the middle of wicked pagan Babylon. How are we going to live surrounded by all these pagans? What are we supposed to do? The call is love. Jeremiah 29, verse 4 says, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what you're to do. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat produce, take wives for your sons, multiply, do not decrease. Verse 7, but seek the welfare of the city, the larger society. Where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on behalf of the city for its welfare, you will find welfare. So the Bible says, okay, we have this responsibility to love. Sometimes that's individual. We have this responsibility to the larger society. Tim Keller says it this way. Jeremiah is telling believers to overcome evil with good by bringing their love and faith to bear on the public good of the city in which they live. To love. There's this calling to love. Individual, society, at large. That's what the Bible seems to be calling us here. So we love others by obeying God's word. Love actively seeks the good of others. Now, time out. So it's this part in the message that gets a little more dicey, if you will. Because I know what you're thinking. All of you at this point are thinking, well, listen, Master Mike, when you talk about love, I got that thing figured out. I mean, if I'm anything, I'm a pretty loving person, right? And we're going to default naturally to our idea of love. But this is when Paul's going to come back in the text and he's going to say, okay, and let me just remind you, God defines love, <laughs> not me. See, if left to myself... I will always take a self-centered view of love rather than God's extremely high supernatural view of love. Help me with that, Pastor Mike. I don't know what you mean. Big idea number two. God's word defines what is good and loving. God defines it, not me. 
So he says, I'm calling you to love the individuals around you. I'm calling you to love the greater society around you. But then I'm not going to leave that to some nebulous, mushy middle that feels good in the moment. In my word, coming from my very nature, I've given you what is love. He helps us with that. It's challenging for us. Left to ourselves, we will drift to a self-serving low view of love. My intuition my feeling in the moment, what seems best to me, what gets the most nods in the room, is rarely what God might call love. So that stretches us a little bit this morning. Because here's the notion. Listen, Pastor Mike. I may not know all what the Bible says, and I don't know what all that stuff in there is, but I really try really hard to be the best loving person I can be problem ready here's challenge all of us we won't ever divine love rightly we won't left to ourselves we'll always define it much less than god defines it and we'll always define it from an ultimately self-centered view and we'll think we're helping the person but we're really helping ourselves that's why we need god who is love who has spoken to us in his word to help us know and see clearly what love even is at all does that make sense so we love others by obeying God's word. God's word defines for us what is good and loving. Now, let me, let me try to say this again. Let's go back to verse 9. I want to show you how this plays out. Okay, so, so I think I get what you're saying, Pastor Mike, that, that God's word gives us instruction of even how to love. So go back to verse 9. Let's press this out. He says, for the commandments... And what Paul's going to do here, as I said earlier, he's going to list some of what we call the Ten Commandments. Now remember how this is set up. God says, listen, the greatest commandment is to love God. And, and then he gives his word to explain how to do that. The first four of the Ten Commandments, and then throughout Scripture, is how we do that. Listen, the commandments of Scripture are not how we earn favor with God. We can't. But now, as born-again believers, the commandments instruct us by the power of the Spirit and how to live. So, how do we love one another based on some of these just examples Paul gives us from the commandments? Verse 9, for the commandments, here's, here's one. You shall not commit adultery. Now, what in the world, what is that, how does that flesh its way out in love? Let me help you, based on what the Bible says. That means we love our neighbor when we honor and value marriage. When marriage is honored and marriage is valued and the family is valued and held high in our conversations, in our practices, it, it, it seems to be an expression of love. The converse is also true. It can never be love to weaken, threaten, or jeopardize the marriage union. So love says, don't commit adultery. In other words, love expressed will honor marriage and the family. Let me give you this other one. You shall not murder. Okay, hey, Pastor Mike, I just need you to know, I didn't kill anybody this week. All right, we're good. If you did, we really need to talk out here in the counseling room later. So I got that one. You shall not murder. No sweat. Okay, how in the world, what does that mean by love? What's this. That means we love our neighbor when we value life. 
When we value life, we show love to our neighbor. And the inverse is true. Here's where it gets convicting. We never love when we see another human being as anything less than fellow image bearers of God. Involves how we treat people, how we speak to them, how we see them as having infinite value. So this week, God says, listen, you will love when you see other people and having infinite value, not because the role they play in your life, not because they're in a position of authority, not because they're really respected, because they're created in the image of God. And then we're able to love. So having a high view of life is an expression of love. He says this, you shall not steal. All right, Pastor Mike, I did not put a mask on my face this week. I did not break into anybody's home. I didn't take anybody's money this week. I didn't steal. I got that covered. What's the heart behind this commandment? The heart behind this commandment is we love our neighbor when we respect what belongs to them as seeing it as coming from God. It means we never love when we carelessly take from others what is theirs. If I steal someone's time, if I steal someone's reputation, if I take away someone's opportunity, if I take credit of something that belongs to someone else, in other words, I have a high view of that person and what is theirs and rightly theirs, or what rightly is theirs from God. That's the spirit behind it. I show love that way. What about this one? Shall not covet. The idea behind that is we love our neighbor when we rejoice and seek to increase their blessings. I'm not coveting what they have. I rejoice in their blessing and seek to increase it. We never love when we envy and covet our neighbor's accomplishments, their successes, their family, their overall place in life. It's impossible for me to love when I want everything you have. Love says, no, no, no. I want to contribute to your success. I want to build you up. I want to see you achieve. All that right there in the commandment. So love is the covering of all the commandments of God dealing with human relationships. But watch this. But then the commandments themselves by the Spirit of God give definition to how we love in everyday life. Here's the practical application of that. The only way you're going to know how to practically love in everyday life is to bury your life in the Word of God. The only way we're going to know how to rightly love, empowered by the Spirit who now energizes us, is when the Word now defines practically what love is in our everyday lives to the glory of God. And Paul says that kind of love is the fulfilling of the law. You do no harm to a neighbor. That is the kind of love, brothers and sisters, we're called to. We're called to love by obeying God's Word. See that? Love has a substance. Love has a source. Love has definition. It's not this mushy middle out there somewhere. It's clearly held out in the living Word of God. See that? So that's how we go to the people around us with that kind of love. Now, Paul continues. Let's, let's kind of switch gears. So I've given you one big truth. In the few minutes I have, I'm going to give you a second big truth in these verses 11 through 14. First big truth, the idea is love. Second big truth, 11 through 14, is this. We are called to be light to others as we pursue holiness. Love and light. We're called to love. We're called to be light. Now look at verse 11. I'm going to read a few verses. Besides this, 
But these things build on each other in Paul's mind. He says, besides this, this call to love, you know the time, know the season, not not that it's almost 12 o'clock and it's almost lunchtime. I'm not talking about minutes and seconds here. Know the season that you're in, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. What does that mean? We're going to talk about that. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand, so then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Now stop right there. We only understand this and what Paul is saying if we understand the metaphor that he's relating this to. If you were hearing this letter in that day and they say you were in the church at Rome and somebody got up and they were reading this letter and that's usually the way it was distributed in that day, you would realize, wait a minute, Paul is using an analogy of a Roman soldier. And in that day, the Roman soldiers were known to have great responsibility. I mean, their responsibility to defend life and to fight was really a life or death matter. They were to be well armed. They were to be well equipped. They were to be ready and stand at the alert. It's this image of this Roman soldier ready. But it was also known of Roman soldiers, watch this, that when night came... Maybe their conduct was not exactly what you would call noble. So the Roman soldiers would engage in all this conduct at night, and then the morning would come, and the sun would rise up over the camp, and these guys would be hung over. They would not be ready for battle. They'd be in their pajamas, so to speak. I'm using the metaphor, right? And the call was like a trumpet to say, Get ready, battle is imminent. Are you ready for what's imminent? And Paul is calling to the believers this sense of wake up. Are you ready knowing what is imminent, what's about to happen? Big idea number three then is this. We pursue holiness with a keen awareness of Christ's imminent return. Paul says, in the same way a soldier gets up and when the sun is coming over the horizon, no matter what the night has been like, it's to remind him, man, today's a day of battle. i got to be ready. Something is imminent. i got to get up. i got to cast off the things that distract me. i got to get the things on that are ready for battle. And in the same way, the return of King Jesus and knowing it is imminent is to propel us to battle. It is to propel us for action. Wake up. Wake up. I was going to tell you, this passage has worn me out this week. Because this passage is to believers. This passage is to us to say, somehow left to ourselves, and I'm the chief of sinners, we, we digress into apathy and complacency, and we lean more toward the darkness, and we forget the reality I am one day closer when I woke up this morning to the return of King Jesus than I was yesterday. That's what he's saying. Verse 11. He says, besides this, you know the time, the season, the epoch that you're in, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. I did a little study on the word sleep. Here's what sleep means. You say, Pastor Mike, excuse me, I know what sleep means. All right, just humor me. Sleep is defined as a state of inactivity 
with a loss of consciousness and a decrease in responsiveness to what is taking place around us. Some of us are sleeping. Some of us are sleeping because this message is boring. I get that. Some of us are sleeping because apathy sets in. And we live as if we're still in the night when the sun is rising on the morning and there's a reality. Wait a minute. I'm one day closer today to King Jesus returning. And throughout the New Testament, the return of Christ is not just some theological idea. It's a reality. But it's always to spur us on to action. It's always to wake us from our sleep, to call us out of this slumber that we naturally drift into because of our flesh. He says that here, he says, for salvation, verse 12, is nearer to us now than when we first believed. So like this Roman soldier, like this wake up and this call, here's the way this plays out. The imminence of something is to spur us on to action. The imminence of something is to spur us on to action. Let me give you an illustration. I don't know how it plays out at your house. I'll tell you how it plays out at my house. The day at my house is different when somebody's coming over later that day for dinner. Right? Honey, somebody's coming over for dinner tonight. This family, this individual, whoever it is, they're coming over for dinner. Therefore, the way we spend our day is different. Because something's coming. Got a list of honeydews on the board, right? Got to get this done today. Well, you know, I was really going to go over here and do No, no, somebody's coming. Here's, it's practical for us, right? We can all relate to that. When we know the imminence of something, it changes our priorities. It changes how we spend our resources. It changes our focus. It is to quicken our feet. It is to alert us to something. And that's what Paul is saying. You're one day closer to Christ's return. Wake up. Man, it's just to energize the people of God. And he says with that, big idea number four, pursue holiness. We pursue holiness, Christ-likeness, by putting off the deeds of darkness. Like this Roman soldier again, the night is gone, the day is at hand. So then, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You've woken up in the stupor, there's some things in your life that you need to cast off. That's a real challenge to us this morning. Here's the picture of God saying to us through his word, listen, my beloved, there are some things in your life that you have slowly drifted into that are, that are like you, you woke up and your pajamas are on and they're weighting you down and there's a battle coming. There's some things you need to rid your lives of. This is one of those calls in Scripture that says, okay, take a minute, sit before the Lord, ask the Spirit of God, Lord, show me anything in my life right now that I've allowed to creep in subtly to get in my heart, and I need to take it like an old rag, I need to take it like an old pair of shoes, I need to cast them off from me, because it's more consistent with darkness than it is with light. And that darkness is passing away. So this is one of those moments, you know, when the Bible is, is like, Hey, what is there in my life, Lord, that I just need to cast off? What is there in my life that I need to repent of and call it what it is? As a believer, as a child of God, Lord, show me that before you. And he goes on, he says, big idea number five, and we'll finish with this one. He says this, not only are there some things we are to cast off, uh, big idea five is we are pursuing holiness by putting on. 
the Lord Jesus Christ. Sanctification, the moment we're justified in Christ, we're made right. One day we're going to be glorified with Christ forever when he returns. We are in the middle of that, this process, sanctification. What does that look like? It looks like this alertness waiting for Christ. It looks like this process of putting some things off that don't look like Christ. And this constant pursuit of Jesus himself and our character becoming more and more like the character of Jesus. As we seek that time before Him, as we seek that Word, His life becomes fleshed out through my life, and there's less of Mike and more of Christ. And the idea is, in this moment, are you more hungry to be like Jesus in your life than ever before, or have we drifted? Have we gone into the slumber of the night, and have we forgotten that King Jesus is coming, and are we living in this apathy? And Paul says, some things you've got to put off, and there's some things you've got to put on, and in community, in the Word, in corporate worship, in the things of God, crying out to Him from a place of hunger, Lord, I want to be more and more and more like You. And His love becomes our love. And His joy becomes our joy. And His patience becomes my patience. And I am progressively and most assuredly more and more and more like Jesus than I was last week, last month, last year. Wake up. So this is a challenge for us this morning, brothers and sisters. And I'm going to ask for the team just to come on up on stage and just, just begin to play. We're not finished, but I, these are to be a challenge to us. Those around us, we have been called to love. God defines love. We're called to be a light. But our light is only going to be as bright as our pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ and His holiness. More of Christ, less of me. The greatest thing those around you need from you is to see Jesus in your life. And to be able to hear the message of the gospel of Christ, which is the ultimate expression of love. Let me tell you what God has done for you in Christ. We have a responsibility to love. We have a calling to be light as we pursue and put on Day by day by day, Jesus. More like Jesus, less of me, more of Him. I ask you just to bow your head for a minute. I'd like for this to be kind of a, mo a moment of worshipful response. We're, we're going to stand and sing like we always do in just a moment. But if you're, if you're here this moment, I want you to take a moment before the Lord. And First, if you're here today and you realize, wait a minute, I, and I don't even have the power to love like that. I don't even have the desire to love like that. Put on the Lord Jesus? What in the world is that? It may be that you have never come to know Jesus Christ. You've never been born again by Christ and received His gift of forgiveness and salvation by faith and faith alone. Repented of your sin and placed faith in Christ. If that's you here this morning, here's what I want you to do when we stand in just a moment I'll invite you to go from where you're seated just through these doors to the back there's an area called the hub a group of people are ready there to lovingly walk you through what it means to know Jesus for the rest of us just in a worship for a moment of response this morning and do you realize the responsibility we have to love even when it's messy even when it's hard 
And not the love that gets the nod in the room, not the love that might even get the pat, pat on the back, the love that's defined by God, who is love. Are there some things in your life right now that the Spirit of God has quickened you this morning? Man, I need to cast that off. Like a runner, I need to leave that aside. I need to repent and turn from that. And is there this pursuit in your life of holiness, Christ-likeness? Put on the Lord Jesus Christ, making no provision for the flesh. Stop feeding the flesh. Lord, we love you. Father, I pray you'll call us to response here by your spirit, through your word. Lord, change us and make us more and more like you. Thank you for your great love for us. It makes it all possible in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said together, amen.